Are you, your team, and your company performing optimally? Even if things are good, do you ever wish they could be a little bit better? Do you want to accomplish more, take more risks, and lead a healthy team at the same time? And it's time to lace up your running shoes on this episode of the Leading to Fulfillment podcast, the podcast where everything we talk about is meant to encourage people-first leaders, empower individuals uh, to achieve fulfillment, and to help your organizations become places people love to work. I'm your host, James Laws, and I have a great show in store for you. I had a really fun conversation with my guest on this episode. His name is Brian Gillette. He has over 25 years' experience in leadership and organizational development with executive and senior-level responsibilities in small and large companies. And before starting his consulting practice, he was on the executive committee as the vice president of human resources for a mid-sized global technology company. In addition to running human resources and payroll, he has has extensive experience in leadership development, organizational design, communications, and mergers and acquisitions. The fun part, though, is for recreation, he is a dedicated endurance athlete, completing many long-distance cycling or running events, including cycling across the United States, cycling 300 miles in 24 hours, and running 200 miles around Lake Tahoe in 76 hours. He has a book available now called Epic Performance, Lessons from 100 Executives and Endurance Athletes on Reaching Your Peak. This book is based on his experiences of reaching lofty goals, as well as the experience of 100 plus CEOs, CXOs, founders, and endurance athletes who have also uh reached these amazing goals. Uh, the book is, again, it's available now. And in my conversation with Brian, we discuss the draw of leaders to entrepreneur and, and entrepreneurs to like running and endurance sports, uh, the benefits of running has on professional performance, navigating risks within our organizations, and a brief look at Brian's epic performance framework. But first, I want to invite you to subscribe to the Leading to Fulfillment podcast. Uh, in your Whatever your favorite podcast tool is, we're on all of the platforms, Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and you can also watch us on YouTube. And if you don't mind uh, giving us a hand, go ahead and leave us a review. Your reviews help us uh, expand uh, our audience and reach more people. And so I would love it if you would take the time just to leave us a review and let us know what you think about the show. Now... Let's jump into my conversation with Brian Gillette. Brian, thank you so much for joining me on the Leading to Fulfillment podcast today. Oh, it's great to be here, James, and look forward to uh, chatting a little bit more about leadership and, and, and some great categories. Oh, I, I love it. I, I The reason I started this podcast is I love talking about it, and I like talking about it from a bunch of different people who have very different experiences. So our audience can get to know you and your experiences. Could you give us a little bit of a background, the elevator pitch of who is Brian Gillette and what, what makes you tick? All right. Uh, so a, a couple things that, uh, that, 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 that fill me is, is one is, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a former executive vice president of human resources for a technology company. Um, I've been doing, running my own consulting practice for the last 10 years, focused really around leadership development, executive facilitation. So pulling teams together, helping them figure out where are we going to go for the next couple of years? 
Um, also, and I know we're going to dig into this later, an ultra distance athlete around did a lot of ultra distance around running, around cycling, and then a father of two and a, and a husband. I got two teenage boys at home. So that's, uh, that's who I am. I, I love, you know, you, I'm, I, let's start right there. You talk about being an ultra distance athlete. Uh, you do cycling, you do running, you kind of do all of that stuff. Uh, about nine years ago, I was running a lot. I ran my first marathon, my half marathon. I, I'm not a masochist or anything. I, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I can't do that ultra distance stuff necessarily just yet. Until I was forced to stop because I had a hernia and I was recovering from surgery and, you know what they don't tell you about running, and I didn't realize this, is when you when you stop running for any significant amount of time, you start over. You, you almost start from scratch and kind of like – so I remember I was recovered. I'm like, all right, let's get back into running. And I got out there. I had just run a, like a half marathon in two hours, which is not amazing, but it's not Good. bad. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like – so I get out there and I get on the pavement and I start running. And after a mile, I'm like, I'm done. I can't, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. What happened? But one of the things that I notice is anecdotally, anyway, I'm trying to get back into running shape now. I've just started walking. I do about six miles a day, just trying to get my nice. cardio back endurance in place. But anecdotally, I notice that it seems like a lot of entrepreneurs and business leaders are drawn to running. I, I see this a lot in my conversations. I, I see it in my Twitter feeds and all of them posting their pictures about their running and they're posting their videos as they're cooling down or warming up for their run, giving their insights. What do you think it is that attracts them and maybe more specifically you into this activity of endurance? You know, when I when I started writing the book, um, I had had all this kind of indult, uh, endurance background behind me, I, a lot in the cycling, a lot on running. And so I started to put together the framework for the book. And then I thought I need to go out and talk to other people. And similar to what you just talked about, you know, I went and I interviewed 100 people and, you know, about three quarters of them were executives, CXOs. And a lot of them do things outside. They have a, an exercise program. So, you know, the executives that I talked to, they recognize the importance of being strong at work. But in order to be strong at work, they also have to have a strong body. And that strong body starts to build a strong mind. Um, running, you know, whether it's running, whether it's cycling, whether it's swimming or whatever, you know, you got to be able to keep your, your, your body in shape. And so I think there's also a competitiveness to it. I mean, people that reach the, the top of, you know, into the executive office, you know, they, they have some competitiveness in them. And, and so you, they can get the, the sport out through running or cycling or swimming or whatever it is. You know, I, I've talked about this with, especially with running. I, I, the reason I love running so much for me is my ability to compete with myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think as far as leadership, our goal is always to be better tomorrow than we were today. And it's an iterative process and step by step. And it's, they're small changes. They're not drastic changes. And when I get out and I run, I can, I have so many metrics that I can play with. I can run a little farther. I can run a little faster. I can, I can maybe make my splits a little bit more tighter. I can, you know, whatever the case may be, I can kind of dig into that. So this, there is this competitive nature, even internally, like with ourselves, like, Hey, I can beat me today. From what I did yesterday. <laughs> well, and what you're you're doing, James, is is you. It's like, am I improving? 
And yeah. as part of being an effective leader, part of being good at whatever we do at work, we have to know okay, we are getting a little bit a little bit better at what we're doing. And so if it's a run or if it's a bike ride, it's like, you know, normally I can go from, from this point to this point in 30 seconds. And I just did it in 29 and a half seconds. So you see that improvement. And so it's, it's having those metrics. It's pushing yourself, whether it's at sport or business, I think is, is so critical. So you hit on, on some key things. And, and I know, you know, one of the other things I like about either getting out on a run or a bike ride is it just allows my brain to kind of focus on something else and kind of think through things. I, when, when I was uh, training for one of the longer runs I had done, I, I would go out and I could just think and I would write a lot of stuff in my head. So I was writing blogs or writing for part of the book and I could just go out and I could run and then it's like, okay, yeah, I want to say that. I want to say that. And, and I could write it in my head first. And then I, I always ran with an iPhone so I could just uh, dictate it into Siri. And so, cause you know, my, as my brain gets older, it forgets more. And so I would just dictate <laughs> it in Siri and I get back to my computer, it would be there. So there, there's, yeah, I, go I, ahead. I'm not as good as that. If I, if I, if I try to dictate, it's going to be mostly me panting and heaving <laughs> and like, <laughs> but I, you're right about that in that like run the, the thing about running and, and we know this, right. When you get to, when you're stuck on a project, when you're stuck on an idea, when you're thinking through something and you find yourself stuck, the best thing you can do is not dive deeper. It's not dig into it more. You're already stuck. You're just going to get more stuck. So the best thing you can do is walk away and do something that engages your brain in a different way that right. kind of, it, I, I look at it like our, our brain, like a computer, it's a reboot. It's, I have to restart the system, get yeah. that stuff out of working memory, load every, you know, do something else. And when I come back to it, I'm fresh and running does that for so many people. Uh, I love that when I run, I think more clearly and you don't think about it, but like you are thinking about a lot of things when you're running, you're thinking about your breathing and your pace and you're trying to make sure if you're getting cramps, you're trying to like trying to land on that foot on the side of the cramp and kind of work it out and kind of power through it. You're thinking about so much. And by forcing you to think about those things, there's other parts of your brain that are released to have great yeah. ideas that just come. And I just, I, I never think more clearly than after I finished a run and I've just totally wiped kind of the computer clean for that period of time. It, it's a great point. And it's a good way just to get rid of that stress. I know, you know, my, my wife will often say, you know, if, if I start to get a little stress and she'll go, hon, maybe I ought to go for a bike ride or go for a run. And that's her, that's a euphemism for her saying, you know, you're really driving me crazy. You need, <laughs> you need to get out. And it'll, it's, it's a good stress reliever as well. And just, okay. <sighs> you know, whether it's meditation, whether it's run, you need that way. You know, it, as, as you were talking about um, running and kind of how to manage the the difficult times, you know, I often look at, you know, when you train for something big, you have to know how to persevere through through big challenges. And, and one of the things is you got to be able to think about the big picture. It's like, why am I out here? But, and this is where I think you were going is you also got to really focus and look at what, what's, what's, what's a small picture? You know, what, what do I need today in order to keep me moving forward? You know, what, what are those yeah. little things that just kind of keep me moving forward? Cause it's just, I need, I need to get one more step in. I need to go, I need to go a little bit further. So yeah. How do you, how do you persevere yeah. up in the big challenge? 
it's it's powerful stuff and and I I agree that you know you talk about high impact or high performing leaders who find themselves doing this stuff because of their competitive and and other reasons but one of the reasons too is just right they're, they're hopefully they didn't get to that position because they didn't have a drive to be that little right. bit better and to prove and this is just another place where they get to apply what is probably many times their superpower is that iterative improvement and constantly pushing forward. So when we talk about all of this running and kind of this endurance stuff, I think about the journey of your book. So you wrote it, you, you've recently written it, but at the time this airs, you, it's released, it's available, people can get it. We're going to talk more about it. You wrote a book called Epic Performance and the kind of the byline is lessons from 100 executives and, and endurance athletes on reaching your peak. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the journey of, of kind of interacting with these hundred uh, people in these different, what seemingly is completely separate ideas and thoughts and how they came to kind of coalesce into this framework that you've developed? You know, it, it, interviewing the hundred people was probably one of the, the more enjoyable aspects of this whole journey. Um, because I got to talk and, and you get to do it all the time. You, you get to talk to interesting people and, and that's what I really liked. And, and one of the reasons, so I had had some ideas. I had, I had done some things and I thought, okay, this is going to be the limit of how far I can go. And, you know, I did it. It was like a, a one of the first one was, a, it was a 300 mile bike ride. And I thought 300 miles, 24 hours through the night, the first time I'm going to be riding through the night. And I wanted to understand where does the mind and the body stop? And earlier in the day, I had seen somebody die uh, dead on the side of the road. I had collided with another bicycle. And now, you know, I only have 25 miles left to go. And I can kind of see the finish line. And I thought, you know, I didn't come close to that limit. And it, it got me thinking, and this was about 10 years ago, it got me thinking that we put these limits in our head and they hold us back sometime. And then, you know, a, 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 about five years ago, my wife and I took our kids out of school for a year and we traveled around the world. And as, as, as we were getting ready to go, you know, friends held a going away party and a couple people came up to me and they said, you know, I could never do that. And, and it kind of hit me. It's like, wait a minute, you're, you're telling yourself you can't do it. And, and those two things started to kind of get me thinking about, okay, there's a book here. It's like, what is it that, you know, gets me to think I can run or I can ride 300 miles or I can run eight marathons back to back. You know, I've got some ideas, but I want to go out and talk to a hundred other people, mainly executives to understand what do they do? in order to kind of set really big goals and then go ahead and achieve them. And so talking, you know, about 75% of the people are, you know, worth the C level or founders of companies. And then the other 20 to 25% were ultra distance athletes, people that had done minimally an Ironman or equivalent run a hundred miles, something along those lines. And just to learn from them and, and kind of glean their experience. And what, you know, the, one of the big things I learned is the similarities between what they do in sport and what they do in business. You know, there's, there's a lot of crossover. Uh, people that are successful in one area often are successful in another area because of the mindset, because of the discipline they have, the ability to see that finish line. 
It reminds me of a common quote we all hear, right? Those who believe they can and those who believe they can't are both right. Right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Like there's this idea, like there is this mindset issue. Like if you continually tell yourself you can't do something, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you, that's true, right? I I tell this to my eight-year-old all the time when he says he can't do something. I'm like, you're right as long as you keep saying that. But if you don't, but those who believe they can try and surprise themselves at what they are capable of because they believe there's potential on the other side of that trying. And And so I I, I love that. that. Yeah, and I heard that over and over, James. Um, and and people, it's like we believed we could do it. We had the confidence in ourselves. I, I was reading an article um, as I was putting the book together about a woman. She wanted to ride her bike five hundred miles, and she made it three hundred miles, and that's still an impressive impressive journey. And at the end, she goes, "You know, I thought I could only ride three hundred miles," and it's like you you failed before you started because you thought you could only do 300 miles you weren't thinking you could do 500 so it, i mean it goes back to your point of like you know both people are right you know if you, i can do it or i can't do it you're right yeah now i wonder as as you're, you're interviewing all of these people executives endurance athletes some both right that are, yeah, right. That are in both and you're seeing and you're seeing this crossover i i, I want to kind of put you on the spot brian what what was the most surprising uh, insight or interview that you had that you took away from all of these calls. My guess is there's got to be someone that you're like, "Ooh, I didn't, ex- I didn't walk, I didn't expect that." Oh gosh, you know, I, I, I don't know that I would say there's one, but uh, you, know, I heard this one several times from a couple of people, and when we would talk about risk. And I would, you know, I'd say, what's your comfort level with risk? You know, that was kind of one of my general questions. And everyone, quite a few people came back and said, you know, I I don't like to take a lot of risk. And these are people that, you know, maybe founded companies, you know, know, done some pretty risky things. And they say, I don't like to talk or take a lot of risk. I like to manage my risk. And so what I expected is these people, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with risk. I have no problems. But it's like they really like to manage it and know what they're getting into and kind of break the risk down into smaller chunks so they can, they can better uh, um, mitigate what the, what the downside is. One of the guys... One of the guys I spoke to, he he founded a company, ended up selling it for a couple billion dollars, and now he skis all over the world. Great skier. And, and what he was telling me, he goes, you know, Brian, he goes, we often think about the worst case scenario when something happens or, you know, as we're getting ready to go into something. He goes, but what we really should be thinking about is what's the realistic worst case scenario because the worst case scenario is only going to incur chances are when a s- number of things go wrong it's generally not one thing that goes wrong it's it's several things that go wrong in order for that worth that have to go wrong and so how do you think about what that worst ca- that realistic worst case scenario is so that that's kind of that one thing that it's like oh you know i expected these people to come out and say hey i love risk and i take it all the time but no that was the opposite 
So it's interesting because I've been having this conversation with my team. We've been kind of in this transition period where one of our particular products is being run by the team and I've stepped back and away from it and allowing them to kind of lead it. And I constantly tell, told them, right, the next great idea isn't coming from me. It's coming from you. And so you have to be, and I've taken my share of risks in building this product and getting it to where it is. The next big risk is, and leap is yours to take. What do you think it is? And I always encourage them, right? Do it. Take the chance. I've got you, right? Like when I started my business, I, t- I talk about this. I didn't have a safety cushion at the bottom. I just kind of started and did it. But I get the opportunity to be that safety cushion for my team. And I encourage them to say, take the risk. I got you. It's okay. We'll figure it out. Like, yeah. But do it. What is it that holds people back from taking those big leaps, taking those big chances uh, to do the next big thing in their lives? You know, I mean, there's a, a million things that we're afraid of, and it's being able to kind of understand what that fear is. Is it is it fear of rejection? Is it fear of impacting my career? Is it fear of losing money? I mean, think back, think back when we were a kid, or at least when I was a kid. You know, you go to the 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 grade school dance. And you, you'd be, you know, it, when, when I was a kid, I, I remember like seventh or eighth grade sitting on one side of the gym. All the boys were on one side of the gym and all the girls were on the other side of the gym. And it was like four and a half miles to walk to the other side of that gym to go ask a girl out. And, and we were afraid. And what we were afraid of is, is that no is here in that no, because if you got it, then you had to do the walk of shame back. And it was a long walk. So. It's really understanding what what are we afraid of? And, and I think the other thing is there are some people that that just love trying new things, love kind of a going out on the limb. And some people like to kind of be a little bit more more. It's like, no, let's let's make sure everything's buttoned up. And, you know, if, if you've done any work around styles like disc communication styles, or Myers-Briggs, and there's there's those types of things. There are those people that are the entrepreneurs, and they'll go out. And I think as leaders, we have to understand what is the style of the person. And and you think about you think about when we learned to swim, we started out in the shallow end of the pool, and then we worked our way to the deep end. Some people have no problems going really quickly to the deep end, and some people, the people that are kind of you know more more analytical, more focused on, okay, what, what do we need to do? What's the steps? They're not going to go running into the deep end really quickly. And so we have to take them a little bit slower from the shallow end into the deep end. Um, and, and, and that, that confidence to try new things comes from being successful on smaller things. So it, that's, it, it, you, you just may have to take people at different speeds. I think that's great. I want to take that a little bit further. So we have our team. We know that one of the common reasons that that people resist taking risks are one is fear, uh, and some is just simply personality. Right? They just have a different way that they see the world, and they want to attack it or approach it in a different way. As leaders in an organization, we know we need to lead all of our people differently. We can't be yeah. the same leader to team member A as we are to team member B. They are individuals, and so yeah. they have to be led individually. Uh, and we know this, I think, consciously. And yet, sometimes we go into our organization, we cast our big vision, and we just say, and we just go and tell everyone to go. How can we as leaders be 
be more encouragers and help our organizations and the, and the individuals on our team take risks. I know one of them you already said, right, is that help them take small wins and, and go through that and, and step slowly through that process. What are some other techniques we can use to help? Yeah, and I, I think the other question to ask ourselves is, you know, when I so I've got five elements to epic performance, and and let me kind of briefly go through them. The E stands for how do you envision the big things? That's that's where we're thinking about really big um, ideas that we want to accomplish over the next 10, 15 years or so. The P is how do you put a plan in place to to do that. The I is how do you iterate? How do you kind of work your way up to things? You you don't you didn't start off running a half marathon. You started off running a mile, then a two miles, and you worked your way up, and you failed at some places, and then you succeeded, and hopefully you learned. You did because you you, you eventually ran it. The C is how do you learn collaborate for with other people and learn from their mistakes, learn from their successes, and the lastly, how do you perform it? So we are not great at all five areas, and even the hundred people that I talk to, they you know I I, I talked to a, a you know one of the first CEOs I talked to. Um, I worked for him, best one of the best leaders I've ever worked for. And he goes, you know, Brian, I'm I'm not strong at the strategy. He goes, I'm really good at iterating and planning. And so I have to bring people in to help with the strategy. And so figure out what your superpower is, focus there and get better there. So so one strategy, James, is you know, if if envision isn't their superpower figure out what it is and have them focus there. It's, you know, we don't all have to be the the visionaries. You know, be, and, and and we shouldn't. If you have a team of visionaries, you're going to have a great vision, but you're not going to get anything done. You know? Right. Um, you know, so, because you don't have the people that can tactically do it. So, those people that may not have that vision, it's where do they fit into the process in order to then implement it? If they want to work on their envisioning skills, you know, one is finding out, okay, what are some of the things that they may be afraid of? Um, You know, are they afraid of drowning in the deep end? And then is it a confidence issue? How do you build that confidence up? I think the other thing, and this is this is when I, you know, I, I work with teams and, and they say, you know, God, we just, we're, we're not thinking big enough. And we, we, you know, we don't, you know, we, we have these failures and I'm okay with failures. And then I ask, well, what happens when a team fails? What happens? You know, are they rewarded? <laughs> are they, you know, are they punished? Because if you punish them or there's some negative consequence, they're not, they're going to be, they're going to play it safe the next time. So yeah. what are the types of incentives, programs that encourage big thinking ideas? And that's going to get people to do the big thinking. So, so kind of that the, the two points is one is all right, you know, do we uh, is it a superpower, and should we should we really be building it, um, or it's like all right, how do you how do you try to make it safe? You know, one of the things you said reminds me of something that we talk a little bit about this uh, in, in our organization. We always tell everyone that this is a safe place to fail. It's okay. Failure is always an option and failure isn't terminal. 
we learn from failure. We, 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 there's so much to be gained from the experience of not quite accomplishing the thing that you wanted to accomplish and analyzing that. But I like something that you, you, you kind of said it, but didn't say it is this, we always celebrate the wins, but do we celebrate the failures because a failure means somebody tried something hard that was beyond them and they had, they experienced that. And that, that's, that's how you encourage and influence risk takers is by saying when they take the risk and fall short, you don't berate them. You don't, you know, yell at them. You don't punish them. You celebrate them and say, this was awesome. Now let's talk about what we can learn from this. Thank you for taking that risk for everyone else. Let's see that. Right. I used to tell, tell my teams, I said, okay, we're going to set our MBOs, our goals for the quarter. And you have your three to five goals. I want, you know, five to 10% of your time to be focused on something that has nothing to do with those goals. And it's to, it's the stuff that is going to, we're going to need to be doing in five, 10 years. So it's that skunk works mentality. And, and, and you're not going to be graded on that. You're not going to be bonused on that. You're not going to, it's not going to be in your performance appraisal. Um, you know, so how do you do that? But most of the time you, you know, one of the ways you figure out is do people really kind of say, oh yeah, I, I love, uh, you know, I, I reward failures. You know, we say that, but then go back and look at, let's look at some of the failures. Look at the people that you terminated in the last year. You know, look at the people who got the low performance, look at the people who got the high performance. And when a failure occurred, what happened? And really got to dig into that because that's going to drive it. It's, you know, we put a lot of wit- lip surface to it and say, okay, I'm okay with failure. But when that failure occurs, what happens? I, I was working with one client and we were talking about risk. This was, this was years ago and it was a, it was a, a fortune, uh, a fortune 500 uh, manufacturing company and very conservative. And so we were talking about, talking about risk and, and how they handle risk and, and I said, where can you take more risk? And the CFO of the organization said, you know, I'm comfortable with people taking more risk in this organization as long as they analyze the numbers and assess kind of what could go wrong and they have very clear game plan on how to avoid, you know, the problems. And and my response was, that's not risk. <laughs> When you know the answer to everything, you're not taking a risk. So I don't think you like the answer. <laughs> no, I, I I think that's that's a good point, right? Sometimes we can kind of double talk people. We're like, yeah, take risks, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to mitigate any possible thing that could go wrong and have a right. plan for doing that so that there's no chance of failure. Yeah. Well, risk comes with failure. There, the, the chance of failure is always a possibility if you're taking risks. There is no, there's no chance of failure. Otherwise, it's not a risk. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I one, love that. One, one group I was working with uh, recently, they put up kind of their goals for the next uh, next year or two. I think it was two years. And we're looking at that up on the wall. And I said, does, does this make you nervous? You know, just, you know, do, do these things make you nervous? It's kind of that nervous quotient. And and they all kind of said, mm, not, not really. I said, it's not big enough. You got to go bigger. You know, that's the good way to know if you're doing enough risk. And, and your nervous quotient, James, is going to be different than mine. 
And so being able to kind of throttle and understand where's, where's your nervous quotient and how do we kind of mm, push it a little bit further? I, that is a, that is a great gauge. I love that. I think about, I think about that uh, all the time and I haven't quite put it in those terms, but I like that. Uh, the idea is like, how do you turn up the heat just a little bit? If you're not a little uncomfortable with the goal that you've set, uh, we talk about this when we talk about OKRs and all these yeah. other ways of kind of managing performance is that if you don't, if there's not a chance, if, if it's a sure thing that you're going to hit the goal, then it's not big enough. If you're yeah. not nervous that you're going to fail, it's not big enough. And, and, you know, people who want to do big things have to risk sometimes some big things, right? That's, that's a part of that process. Now, I want to talk to all of the – I want you specifically right. to talk to all of the people who may be listening to this and they, they think, all right, this sounds like a really good framework. I love the pillars, envision, plan, iterate, collaborate, perform. I get that. That sounds good. Um, the book may be a little intimidating. Epic performance uh, from you know endurance athletes, and you know I don't know how much I'm a bit on that like push, push, push. And you talk a lot about pushing oneself and your team to achieve kind of extraordinary results. How do we as leaders in organizations in what is let's be honest a new world? especially after the pandemic and the great resignation and people calling people back into offices. And there's this, there's this definitely this strain between employees and employers in the corporate world and really all over the world. How do we as leaders balance this need for performance, this need to stretch ourselves and take big risks and, and have epic performance that with healthy practices that respect the realities of life yeah. Family members get sick. I, you know, employees get sick. They're in a bad, they, they need to take care of their mental health for other reasons. There's, there's so much things that can have so many things that can happen in the world. There's wars, there's so much stuff that happens. How do we balance the realities of life with the fact that we have big goals, big risks, big performance? You know, it, it, we could talk about this for, for hours. Um, and, and you use when you're kind of describing, you know, kind of the book and, you know, could be intimidating and kind of thinking about epic performances. And my intent was to put a framework that makes it kind of pretty easy on what you could do. And, yeah. and what's big for me is different than what's big for you. You know, for, for me, it was going out and running that eight marathons back to back. I'm, I was, you know, one of my clients, she is, she's uh, training to run a half marathon. That's not big to me um, because I've done it before, but it's big for her. And so she's stretching just as much as I stretch. So I, you know, it's, it's, as managers, we got to understand where, you know, where we can stretch people. But what's interesting is we, I, I hope we. I hope I can say this are coming out of this pandemic. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I've been saying that for a, a year and a half, though. Um, I was going to say, yeah. Uh, I mean, when we, what I hope we walk out of this thinking that I can actually do more than maybe I think I can, and and if if we were to back up in time three years. And, you know, I, I was a head of HR and, and I know that had I gone to my CEO at that time, you know, three, three years or, or, or before and said, hey, I think we ought to have everybody work from home. 
you know, the CEO would have said, you're nuts, Brian. He probably would have then said, why don't we start with you? Why don't you work from home? And we're also going to try this new thing where we're not going to pay people. We're not going to pay you. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hopeful that it gave us the a little bit more confidence that we can achieve bigger than we think we can. And so our job as managers, I mean, you talk about all these things going on in our personal life. Our job as managers has always been, the pandemic just put put a brighter light on, is to understand what is going on in that person's personal life. You know, what what are some of the challenges that they may be facing personally, professionally? Um, and there are some times when it's like, okay, James, I can push you now. But maybe there's other times, you know, a year down the road when maybe you're going through a divorce or you just lost a family member that now's not the time I can I can push you. You know, I, I remember one of the one of my colleagues years ago lost his in a period of about 18 months, lost his daughter, his mother and um, one of his in-laws. And he, you know, he was not, he was not pushing it. You know, he, 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 he just needed to kind of hold it together. And, and that's always our job as a manager to understand, okay, what it, what is it? How far can I push somebody? Um, and some people you can push further. Um, I, I, and at different times, just because that's how they are today doesn't mean that's how they're going to be tomorrow. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what we said earlier in the episode, right, is that, you know, we're, we're leading individuals, we must lead them individually. And so we need to be aware of our team. That's where one-on-ones are powerful tool to get to know your team and understand what's going on in their lives and, and kind of help them manage the, perhaps the pulling of what's happening in their work culture and in their home culture and figuring out how do you make that work and how do you make sure that both those spaces are safe for them to explore whatever it is that they need to explore to get through that. I love this. I think uh, I'm looking forward to reading through the entire book myself. I've skimmed some of it and I'm, I'm excited to kind of dig into it. For those who want to learn more about, get a hold of this book, where can they find it? And how can they learn more about you and get connected to what you're doing? Yeah, the book's on Amazon, has it all books. So Epic Performance, Lessons of 100 Executives and Endurance Athletes on Reaching Your Peak. Um, you can also go to epicperformances.com. So that's E-P-I-C performances with an S dot com. I'm on LinkedIn, um, but you, so you can go there and learn more about the book um, and connect up with me. I do on the, uh, on the um, Epic Performances, I have an assessment that allow you, and it's, it's a free assessment for anybody um, listening, that they can go on and assess how well they do each of the five pillars, envision, plan, iterate, collaborate, and perform. And it'll ask for a company code. And so then you can go ahead and type in uh, leadership and that will get you, get you through. Um, awesome. Again, look, we're, not, we're not good at all five. No, you're right. I mean, as I look through them and, and this is true of, of, you know, you know, there's lots of organizational systems out there. If you're looking to adapt, this this one has all of the things that you need to kind of think through your business and prepare to kind of process through. But like all of them, right, we have strengths and we have weaknesses and good leaders surround themselves with people who make up for their weaknesses. Like, I know I'm not great at this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not great at the, uh, a lot of times in the execution. I'm great 
with the plan. I'm great with like the initial idea and casting the vision and communicating and getting people hyped up. But then it's like, all right, I did that. I just like, who's, who's next? Who do I hand this off to, to take it the rest of the way? And that's where we have collaborate. That's why (laughs) that's right. So yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I encourage everyone, get a copy of this book, check it out. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I look forward to many more conversations with you. Thank you, James, for the time. I want to thank Brian for taking the time to be on the show and join me as we talk to this idea of epic performance. Now, everything that we mentioned on this show, uh, including a full transcript of the show, is available over on my website, which has changed. This is something new. We just recently transitioned uh, circles.com and leadingtofulfillment.com. Both addresses will point to jameslaws.com, but the new website is jameslaws.com. You can find all the information about this episode on my website there. There you can also subscribe to my brand new Uh, newsletter. We're calling it Leading Culture. So if you want to subscribe to the Leading Culture uh, newsletter, it's where I talk about leadership, um, culture, and remote teams. So if you're interested in that kind of information, sign up. I send out a weekly uh, tool or framework or idea to challenge how we lead cultures in our organization. And so I would really encourage you to sign up and be a part of that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so what we talked about today, uh, was a lot about leading a healthy and sustainable team. And and I want you to remember these words as you interact with your team moving forward to lead well, tune in. If you want to lead your team well, you need to understand what they're dealing with from day to day. And this doesn't just mean knowing when they have a sick family member or planning a big vacation or knowing their kid's little league schedule. It's great if you do awesome. But oftentimes, the things that are impacting your team aren't so obvious or or they require greater empathy to really connect to. So how has your team handled things like the pandemic, for instance? I mean, all right, that's probably an easy one. But how about Russia invading Ukraine? How about the senseless murder of people of color by police? Or what about uh, when there was all of the BLM protests going on? How have various members of your team been impacted by the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Or any number of other contentious battles around the world? The point is that your team has a lot coming at them from all directions. In order to be mindful and an empathetic leader, you need to know what's going on in the world and take a moment to consider how these things could be influencing the current mental health of the individuals on your team. Not a psychic, though. So you need to actually talk to your team about these things, about what's going on in the world and what's about what's going on in their lives. Make your one-on-ones a safe place to express all the things that might be impacting them and then let them know what you can do to help them navigate the storm. So one more time for the people way in the back. To lead well, tune in. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me on the next episode. And until then, may your businesses be successful as you lead your teams to fulfillment.